I didn't know. Our lives were so short. So little time for creativeness. And yet we wasted it. I didn't slip through our fingers. My goddamn sin! Alright everyone, welcome back to episode 57 of Gundam and MHQ. Uh, this is one of your hosts, Neo. And uh, you guys requested it, and we did it. This is the Soulfro-free episode. It's just me and Chris. Um, just joking, Soulfro uh, has got to take care of some stuff with his marriage. Uh, so it's just myself and Chris. Uh, How dare he? Otaku don't get married. <laughs> They just rot away in their mom's basement wearing their pajamas. <laughs> or burn away their mom's basement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that one guy, right? But, um, so it's just myself and Chris, and we're going to be going, you know, the show still goes on. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter death, marriage, childbirth, whatever it might be. Uh, there's the Gundam always will go on. But in this episode, it's probably one of, going to be one of our shorter ones, but um, we're going to be dealing with something... Um, uh, that we talked about earlier this year, and uh, we're going to be talking about the first season of Legend of Galactic Heroes Gaiden, the uh, separate, o- the kind of the prequel OVAs, uh, and uh, you'll hear me and Chris's uh, thoughts on on that 24 episode OVA there. And um, I'm sure in two or three years, um, Soulbro will tell us this is the most amazing thing he's ever seen, because uh, that, that would fall within his um, his uh, his whole demeanor there. But before I begin, I'd like to say hello to Chris. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm live. Are you sad that I'm getting off the air? No. Oh, what? You don't like me talking to Jermaine Jackson anymore? No. But, um, well, before we get into anything, I got some news here and uh, have some listener-submitted news articles courtesy of uh, all of our friends on the Talk boards. And the first one here is from a longtime poster, Vent Noir. And, uh... This, this uh, article here that he sent me, and this is courtesy of the Anime News Network, and this just really this kind of shows the state of the anime industry. Um, the title is Full Metal, Full Metal Panic Novels 4 and 5 to Ship in U.S. Next February. And it's funny because the um, Volume 3 shipped in 2008. <laughs> so it's like, I guess, better late than never. But um, all those that are fans of the uh, Full Metal Panic uh, novels, um, they didn't—they didn't leave you hanging. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a few few years in between, but you'll definitely get them in February of 2011. But uh, better late than never, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. And of course, Full Metal Panic is—you know—it's based around uh, a mercenary group called Mithril, and we see this guy Sosuke and some of his adventures with um, all the little lovelies that are within Full Metal Panic. And um, I actually think this is a show that Soulbro has actually finished. What? Uh, yeah, it, it, actually, it took him six years to watch it, but um, I think he's either close to to the end or he's pretty much at the end at this point. So, 
you know. But um, so all of those fans of Full Metal Panic, there you go. And uh, this this actually goes in the whole thing of Soul Bro uh, waiting, you know, waiting at the last minute to watch something. But uh, this comes from one of our posters, the Deja Flu, and this is also from the Anime News Network. And uh, G Gundam, you've heard about this, right, Chris? Giant. Uh, no, what's that? Oh, it's um, it's where the uh, they they take our iconic series Gundam and they make it very super robotish. What's a uh, Gundam? Oh, it's um, it's. It's basically a 40-meter-tall robot that's got uh, powered by teen angst. Uh, usually some kid that's, like, you know, from a Doris family or a neglected family or something like that who, um, you know, he's 15 years old, but he's a technical genius. He's able to do things that even PhDs from MIT can't accomplish with this robot. So um, you should check Sounds it like out. Sounds like a piece of crap. Yeah, it does sound kind of crappy, doesn't it? What? Who, who, who would ever, you know, watch that or... Devote a website to that for ten years, or do a podcast to that. These are questions. Go to conventions to talk about that. These are questions. What kind of loser is that? The general, maybe. General hate, maybe. Maybe, or maybe the pedo bears. Maybe I don't so. know. But uh, actually, there is going to be in Katakawa Shoten. Um, there's going to be a new monthly G Gundam manga, and it's actually going to be um, it's tentatively uh, titled. In English, I'm not going to do the Japanese because everybody hates my Japanese translations. It's uh, Mobile Fighter G Gundam the comic. And what? It's, yeah, it's it's actually going to have a lot of the people that were helped with the original show uh, help write it. So um, you know, hopefully one of these days we can um, get the translations, or or maybe they'll do the old unicorn with it. You know, release an episode every two years on something. So, but uh, I I definitely want to. And this is a new poster, Deja Flu. So I haven't seen this guy before, but thank you for your submission. We appreciate that very, very much so. But uh, these la- these last two articles here, and it it's kind of funny because these are actually from reputable news sites. Not saying that Animated Network isn't, but these are like from uh, this first one here is from uh, Poster Wielder, and this is from the MSNBC.com, and it's actually very interesting. I would definitely uh, suggest people to go to the Neo's Listener Submit News articles thread and click on the link that he has there and this is talking about how um they have uh some researchers some scientists have got these two robots they link in midair and they fly together and it's really kind of cool i mean i'm I'm, like i said i'm not going to go too much into it and this is more of like a a more hard news type of topic but it's called the distributed flight array and it provides an excellent platform exploiting advanced sensor technology investigating techniques and automatic control and uh, this is from the Swiss, the people that brought us cheese and uh, cocoa and offshore banking. So, All right. <laughs> I know I got my accounts. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I have all my, all, all my millions offshore with the Swiss. But uh, it's kind of cool. They, they go into – they talk about it and they talk about some of the things. And about offshore banking? No, they talk about these robots linking up in midair. That uh, steal your bank account numbers? <laughs> Hello. I'm a robot that flies in air. I'm from my Nigeria. I just need some time to to get these 15 million euros out of the country because my father was the finance minister. Salutations, dear sir. All I need is your name, your social security number, your bank routing number, and your account number. And you can have this 15 million euros for for a, a fee of 1,000 euros. Please send this to me because they're trying to kill me at the door. 
Salutations and thank you. I know you have it in your heart to do this. And uh, just want to thank Mr. Wilder for his uh, submission here. And uh, like I said, I definitely would uh, tell everybody to check it out because it's kind of cool. They have some pictures on there about these robots docking. But our um, our last uh, our last our last article here. This is kind of funny. And once again, this comes from a, a regular news source, not some fakakted uh, anime site or whatever. And um, it's actually from a poster Muppet Gundam. And uh, his icon's pretty interesting. He has uh, Kermit the Frog and like um, some um, very Gundam-like. He's got the goggles, kind of like uh, kind of like what's his face in um, Wing Catra, the sorry guy. Um, but, uh, it's funny because he just says, um, South Korea is using the Minmay defense against North Korea. And, uh, he's got a link on there about how, um, this is from the New York Times. And it's just kind of funny how they're blasting, like, uh, Korean pop over the, over the armistice line to North Korea to, like, I, I don't know what they're trying to do, but, um, de-brainwash them, de-brainwash them pretty much. Convince them that, um, eating grass ain't all it's cracked up to be. Convince them that, uh, the guy that was, what's his name? Kim, Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-il. Yeah. With his cool jumpsuit that he has. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it, I just found it funny because it, 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 you know, with the, with the type of podcast that Gundam, uh, Gundam is, it just finds funny that somebody would actually think of this as like some type of defense. You know history. You don't know about culture. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about culture, Kim Jong. You don't know the first thing about culture. Here's some Korean pop. But uh, it is kind Earth of Earth is the center of the universe. <laughs> Bullshit. You don't know anything. Uh, I guess they were like they were showing this K-pop group, girl group called Four Minutes singing their song "Hit Your Heart." <laughs> I don't know what this is going to do. With Clearly, the, sounds very insidious. I don't know what this is going to do with the old tensions in the uh, in, in the Korean Peninsula there. But um, if we if if they've learned anything from Mecca or especially from Macross, this will actually defeat all the enemies. So if if the North Koreans start flowing over the border, they'll just have to you know put the put the K-pop uh, defense up. But um, and and they'll put down their arms, and then uh, they'll have unification. Exactly. And then, well, you think the the freaking rain of death will come down though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll happen too. And Roy will die. So some guy named Roy and Korean South Korea, Roy, Korean South South Korean Roy. But um, I just want to thank Mr. Muppet Gundam for his submission, and thank all the people that have submitted news articles to Neo's Listers Submitted News Article site, and keep doing it. Uh, I know sometimes I don't do all of them, but uh, we do try to keep this uh, show under uh, a certain time point. And uh, as much as I'd love to do every one of them, I just try to do the ones that I think uh, are going to work, and, and sometimes too. Uh, the time-sensitive ones. So, but uh, before we move on to our first manly topic uh, and our only manly topic today, uh, I think Chris's uh, the old mail bag is full, isn't it today? Even even oh, without to, Solbro, to bursting. But um, you know, in in deference to uh, not having Solbro present, uh, we're going to do a short mail bag today with only one question. No problem. And uh, that comes from uh, Did Shard Armro die at the end of Star's counterattack. No. <laughs> This question comes from uh, Wielder, who asks, Have spoilers significantly affected your anime viewing experience? In other words, do you actively seek them out, or do you prefer to avoid them as much as possible? So why don't you tackle this one first? In terms of it, it, it's, a, it's a show that's currently airing or something that I haven't seen in a while. If something I, yeah, if, if it's something that was done you know, years prior, I don't really have too much of a problem with spoilers because 
it's my own fault for not watching it during that time. Um, you know, if it's a, if it's a 15 year old show, and I didn't watch it 15 years ago or even you know 10 years ago, and I found out what the end was, well, that's my fault. But you know, sometimes I, I do kind of like, even though I did spoil Lelouch is dead, and he was dead, and he still is dead, and he always will be dead at the end of R2. But um, I don't know. It, it it doesn't really bother me that much because I I understand with the internet and all that that it's, um, you know, you're, you're going to find this stuff out. It, I equate it right now like the World Cup is going on. I find it funny that people are at work DVRing World Cup games, thinking that they're not, they don't want to know the score when that stuff is like posted up on every news uh, internet site there is. So I, I've just kind of gone with it. It's, it's not that big of a deal to me anymore. Um, but... I wish I had a better a better answer for that, but it's, it doesn't really spoil it for me. Because spoilers don't spoil. Nah, because you know what? A lot of times there's there's more there's more things within the show, and I don't always I don't really sit there and and dwell on the fact that there's a spoiler. So my uh, my opinion is pretty much the same. If it's something that's been over for you know years, then um, I don't really mind because I stumble upon it myself. And yeah. you know what are you going to do about it? But if it's something that's airing right now, and especially if it's something really big, like say a series finale, yeah, oh yeah, you know, okay. I, I avoid spoilers, and I tell people, don't tell me anything. I don't want to hear it because it really pisses me off. You know, if I'm going to watch, say the, um, say the end of a series, it, I see someone on Facebook like, oh my god, they killed Jack Bauer. I can't believe it. They did? No, they didn't. But uh, just an example. An example. Okay. You know, I don't want to hear that, and you know, it bothers me if someone. Um, tries to um you know tell me something i'm like dude don't tell me i don't want to know right uh one story that i that kind of illustrates this perfectly a friend of mine was talking to an annoying person and this was when fulmetal alchemist the first fulmetal alchemist was airing right. it's only about halfway through its run in japan so this guy starts talking about the show and my friend says uh don't tell me any spoilers i haven't um i haven't caught up yet and I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't want to know anything about it. And then without missing a beat, the guy says right after that, oh, did you know the Fuhrer is a homunculus? See, that's a dick move. See, if, if, if you sit there and you tell somebody, I don't want to know, and they end up telling you that, you have full permission from us here at Gundam to beat their ass. Because... Well, he had to hold himself back from that. And, and yeah. the guy who, uh, who gave him that spoiler was a real douchebag anyway. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, that kind of thing is rare. But it's, it's like, still, I don't want to see spoilers for things. And because of that, you know, when there's like a big event like, say, the end of 24, the mm. end of Lost, yada, yada, you know, if I can't watch something right away, I will actively try to avoid, you know, the Internet. Right. Because people are going to talk about it on Facebook or on Twitter or yada, yada. Um, but sometimes you can't avoid it. Uh, this same friend of mine recently, he was driving to work, and uh, he was listening to um, Paul and Young Ron, the uh, local morning radio show down here. And they usually talk about shows like 24. And um, you know, as he tuned in, they just blatantly outright were talking the next morning about the death of a major character, and he hadn't seen the episode yet. Yeah, see, so that, that's kind of messed up. And I mean... Like when I when I dropped the bag about Lelouch's dead, there was a few weeks on that. So it's like if I did it the day after, I could see where people get pissed at me. But yeah. a few weeks after, yeah, it's your own fault. Yeah. So you know, there's only so much you can do with uh, avoiding spoilers for fresh things. You know, you can actively try to avoid it, but in some cases, 
you just don't know what's going to happen. Like, you know, a radio show spoils it for you. Well, let me ask you this, Chris, because it's known that I don't really watch that much television, and, and you and Solbro are more of the avid television watchers when it comes to a lot of series. Do you find it harder now to not, especially if, like, you have to DVR for something maybe because of work or school or whatever it might be, do you find it harder now not to kn- to not know the spoilers because it's because we're in such a connected and everything's ever present than you did like maybe five years ago do you find it harder now to not know who died at the end of this episode of loss it is kind of harder so what what i do is that um you know the incentive to not want to get spoiled right is a driving force to make sure that i just watch the damn thing as soon as possible so i don't have to worry about it so basically your advice is uh, when it comes to being spoiled if it's anime or live action or whatever it might be the, the sooner you watch it the less spoiling it's going to actually going to be happening exactly uh yeah. the perfect example of this was two years ago when metal gear solid 4 came out on yeah. the ps3 and i hadn't gotten it yet and i didn't have the cash for it but then i did get some cash and i was gonna get some other stuff but then i said to myself you know what this is maybe like a month after it came out i said to myself i gotta play this game because one i really really want to but you know I said to myself, I figure that the longer time goes by that I don't play this game, the higher the chance that someone will casually spoil it for me without even intending to. Like, oh my god, can you believe that you know this happened to Snake at this part of the game? Oh yeah. my god. And I saw people start to talk about this. I was like, no, no, get away from me. I don't want to hear it. So I just said, screw it. You know, and I bought the game and you know I played through it as quick as I could to make sure that you know, I didn't get hit by some spoiler. Yeah. So it really depends. It's like, you know, I try to avoid things, but uh, the easier thing is to just watch the thing in question as soon as possible. But in some cases, as much as you try to avoid stuff, you know, uh, you can't. I mean, there's a whole bunch of World Cup games that I've been wanting to watch, but um, you take a casual glance at Facebook or Twitter and... People posting about it every damn second. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe that Germany got three goals. Oh my god, I can't believe this game's over. Oh my god, this is two to one. Oh my god. It's like, well, well, shit. Thanks a lot. I, I well, can't enjoy this now. I, I have, when it comes to like television shows, I have a little bit more sympathy for people. But when it comes to sporting events, and there's been times when I've had jobs in the past, maybe I had to work through a sporting event or whatever. There's so many different ways of doing it. And yeah, it sucks because you're not in your house watching an HD or whatever. But there's been plenty of times when I've had to sit there and watch a Super Bowl or an NBA Finals or World Series or whatever. I mean, you can't, you can't get pissed if people spoil sports for you. Television shows, I give it to you. I, I understand that, but well, this is like it, yeah. in this in this case, it's a little annoying because it's like it's not after it's happened because yeah. I can understand people talking about the game after, but this is like during, during the game. Yeah, that annoys me because then it's like, well, what's my incentive to watch the game up to this point? Yeah, I might as well just fast forward up to the point that I was spoiled and keep watching from there. Yeah, if the, if the U.S. game was at two, it ended at three, and it's now six o'clock. You shouldn't be pissed if somebody spoiled. No. But, but at like if 240, it's, if it's 245, yeah. it's like, oh my god, I can't believe Landon Donovan got a goal. Oh my god, we won. And it's like, well, great. There's no point in, there's the excitement I would have had of watching that unawares is gone. So that's that. it's just something you got to watch out for. But the, the easier thing is just try to watch it as soon as possible. And you don't have to go through, you know, all of these hurdles of, okay, do I avoid the internet? Do I not talk to people? 
Do I not, you know, listen to the radio? Do I not do this? Just watch the thing as soon as you can. Don't you find it funny, the fact that people love the fact of being connected, that sometimes it's counterproductive when it comes to (laughs) their, you know, like their television viewing habits. I always find that funny. I mean, you have people are connected in so many ways, Facebook and blogs and uh, Twitter and all this stuff. But then it's like... You know, something happens and you can't see that final episode of your favorite TV show. It's like, oh crap! You know, don't tell me. It's like, dude, you, you, you want it? You're, you're sitting there. You're you're guilty of the same thing. You're you know, you're talking a minute after the last episode um, aired about you know on some forum or you know chatting around on Twitter or Facebook or something like that. And you know, it's like just because you couldn't see it at this point, you know, you shouldn't be mad. But I can see how that's uh, de- detrimental. Soul Bro, any uh, any thoughts? Thank you for that insight, Soul Bro. Any other questions, Chris? Before we move on, no, uh, you know, just gonna keep it short for the uh, the Soul Bro wedding edition of the mailbag. <laughs> All right, well, um, that's it for the news in the mailbag. In short order, we're going to be going to our first and only topic of episode fifty-seven. Uh, last episode was the Pedo Bear episode, so this is more about hairy man, ch- hairy chested man stuff, and 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 it's somewhat homoerotic, but it's okay because it's a legend of black heroes, and you shouldn't feel, you shouldn't question your sexuality when you watch the show because it's just that awesome. But we'll be right back in a little bit. You're listening to Gundam at NHQ. Open. God damn it! Open! Prime, you said the Matrix would light our darkest hour. Magnus! I want the Matrix! Never! This episode of Gundam is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Right now they're offering special discounts to our listeners. Just simply go to GoDaddy.com and use the code GUN8 for 10% off any order not already discounted. GUN9 for $5 off purchases that are $30 or more on any items not already discounted. .com domain names are as low as $749 if you use the code GUN10. And last but not least, code 20H1 for 20% off hosting plans. For more information, you can go to Gundam.net and click on the GoDaddy link in the Sponsors and Special Offers section. Don't wait too long. The domain name you've always wanted might be claimed by someone else before you know it. Register with GoDaddy.com today. Just gotta keep on trucking. Yes, sir! I'm gonna go outside and make myself a nice, big, shiny, first-place medal, sit in the sun, and have a stupendous friggin' day! Gundam it! Well, all right, you're messy. Would you make me a medal, too? segment of Gundam at MAHQ is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. This is Chris, and uh, 
for our light show today. We're going to be talking about uh, something we've been wanting to get to for a while, and that's the first Gaiden series of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, which uh, was produced after Season 4 was done and ran for 24 episodes. Uh, It's set before the TV show, and it's broken up into a couple of major arcs, and uh, they all jump around in, uh, in the timeline, so some take place before others, and it's not a continuing story in that sense. It's uh, sort of different glimpses into uh, you know the early military careers of people like uh, Reinhard and uh, Kierkegaard. So we're going to uh, jump into the discussion of these various arcs. So why don't we first hear about um, the first four episode arc from Solbro? What did you think about that arc? <laughs> okay, then thank you very much for that opinion. Actually, what'll be funny is, is five years from now, we'll get, Oh, that was the greatest arc I've ever seen. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't imagine how much storytelling and character development was done within four episodes. Maybe so. <laughs> you never know. G-Gundam all over again. So, the first arc is four episodes, and uh, it's literally the first assignment for Reinhard and Kirky Ice. And they're both stationed on this... Uh, ice planet called, I believe it was Capchilanka, and um, what's really different about this storyline and this arc is that, uh, you know, Galactic Heroes is so known for its many space battles, but this arc is all about uh, ground battles with tanks and ground soldiers in the snow. So it's a very different um, sort of uh, action from what we normally see, which makes it nice because, you know, as thrilling as... um, all of the space battles are in Galactic Heroes. You know, there's only so many times that you can watch, um, you know, someone decide to, like, break through the enemy fleet by flying right by them and then turn around and shoot them. Or, or, or use the, um, what was it, use the use the wave of the dying star to rise up above the, uh, the Empire fleet. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Yeah. So this was a very welcome departure. And what's interesting about this is that, um, as far as the characters go, that Reinhard and Kierkegaard are total noobs. These guys are green. They're straight out of military academy. This is their first assignment. And um, it ties into some stuff that we see later on in the main series because uh, if you remember in the main series early on, there was a woman, um, the Marquis Benamunde, who hated Reinhard because she was the Emperor's favorite concubine, but then he... uh, didn't care about her anymore because he moved on and uh, picked up Reinhardt's sister. Mm. So she lost her favorite position in the court and was basically cast aside, even though she herself was still, you know, a young and beautiful woman. But because he had moved on to someone younger, you know, she was considered uh, old and used goods. Well, it couldn't be that, but it, it might be that, but um, also um, her well, personality. She's also crazy. Yeah. yeah, she's also crazy. <laughs> We're talking like uh, Meryl Street, Fatal Attraction, crazy. Oh, you mean uh, not Meryl Street? Uh, not Meryl Street. Glenn Close. Uh, Glenn Close. Yeah. Glenn Close. Sorry, but yeah, she is like Fatal Attraction, crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, she hates she hates Reinhardt's sister, and by extension, she hates Reinhardt because, like many of the other court nobles, she assumes that he's gotten where he is at his age just because of his sister. So she uh, puts out a contract to secretly have Reinhard killed, and this involves the two of them, Reinhard and Kierkegaard, taking one tank out on a uh, recon mission. And obviously, um, you know, he's aware of 
things that are going on against him. So they manage to turn the tables on um, one of their commanders, who then comes out and tries to kill them by himself to make sure the job gets done. But in the meantime, aside from uh, avoiding having their own guys kill them, they manage to catch wind of an attack by, um, by the Free Planets, which also has a military base on this planet. So it then turns into um, a tank versus tank battle as the uh, Free Planets forces come to attack uh, the Imperial base. Mm. Finally ending with um, you know, the Imperials winning the battle and also the corrupt commander who was part of all this getting taken down. Yeah, he got captured, didn't he? Yeah, so yeah. what did you think of, of this arc that introduces the first Gaiden series? Um, I was like you. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you, you sit there and it it's weird because watching 110 episodes plus a movie prior, you're used to seeing Reinhardt and Karakiais being on their game, really kind of knowing what they need to do and, and how to do it. And because even Karakiais, as self-confident as he was, you know, for doing the, the, the regular soldier type duties, in this one you can really see his greenness. And you can even see more so Reinhardt's um, impulsiveness because he really hasn't learned at this point yet how to tone it down as much. Uh, you know, because like you said, he's getting a lot of crap because his sister is now the new favorite of the Emperor. And, um, you know, a lot of people, not only um, not even the, uh, not only the Emperor's former concubine, but all the guys in the uh, in the military, are just like, what is going on? I mean, that. As soon as Reinhardt showed up, you know, that commander of the base is like, you know, what the heck did I do to the, the Empire bringing this guy in there? Because, you know, they're, they're kind of thinking he's a, a spy or, you know, just, just some type of plant. But um, it was really cool, though, to see them in a situation that you weren't used to seeing. Uh, ground combat, um, tanks. And situations where they had nobody to help them because it was yeah. just the two of them versus, you know all these people because mm-hmm. you know one thing is if you're in the army and and someone's trying to kill you yeah but it's another thing entirely when it's your superior because what do you do then if you try to fight back and you know say um you know someone else shows up he could claim that you were mutinying and trying to kill yeah. you trying to kill him which they so, try which they had planned i mean they, yeah they had that plan if if you know, if this was to come back on them, but um, no, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it, it's, it's not an incredibly deep story when it comes to that, but it was just cool to see um, a different side of Reinhardt and Karakiais and in, 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 in situations that you never really thought, and um, you know, it was just very enjoyable, you know, sitting there watching with on Ice Planet Hoth there, yeah, and um, it, it, the Tauntauns. And, and, and it's funny because in the end, you know, everybody, you got the free planets there. You have his own commander against him. But in the end, because of their, their dependent, you know, their dependence on each other, their trust in each other, uh, Karakiais and Reinhardt end up being the heroes pretty much. And, you know, it, it, their actions upon this planet and, you know, to fight against the free planets and their own commander gets them out of this and they go on to a bigger and better <laughs> assignments later on so um, yeah one of the things i liked about the arc a lot was the fact that it was a snow setting because Mm -hmm. you don't see that too much in Mm sci-fi but also um you know because you know you have blankets of snow that are white and you just have an endless stream of white everywhere you look while it's still snowing it really helps to give this feeling of extreme isolation yeah exactly i i felt the same way i mean 
snow battles for some reason it just always seems it, it and especially in a situation when it comes to Kierke Ice and Reinhardt I mean they were basically on their own but you know adding the whole snow dyna- dynamic there it it made it even more so it's like wow these guys are really on just this use because you know they stated at the beginning of this arc this is a useless backwater like supply depot yeah it's it has no strategic value Mm -hmm. so the they're on their own but they're also screwed because um before they left their tank was sabotaged yeah or as william shatner would william shatner would say sabotage sabotage and you know uh what was it like their their battery was replaced with one that was only half full Mm mm-hmm so they ran out of power, and you know they're trying to get along with having less supplies for a mission that's crazy. It's, it's suicide anyway because it's one tank sent to reconnoiter the free planets. The whole point is for them to go out isolated and then be killed, and yet they manage to survive. The other thing that's interesting is by the time the main series starts, Reinhard's already in the upper echelons, so you never really get to see him out in the field much. Yeah. So to see him here fighting himself and by necessity and, you know, just having to go with things as they come up out in the field is an interesting contrast from, you know, years later when he's built up this huge staff of dependable men that he scouted and has all of these people who would be willing to die for him. Because that, at this point, he's just got one guy who's willing to die for him. That, and you can still, and, and the other thing I liked about it is you can see they still are, especially Reinhard, he's not mature enough yet. Because he really, in, in this one, you see, you know, he was always respectful and, and Kierkegaard always calmed him down. But in this, actually throughout this whole guide in, you see that he's just more, he's, he's more on edge. And he, yeah, because he, he really is eager to get his plan in motion, and yeah, you know he's just so impulsive that you know he he can't quite at this point comprehend that, dude, you've already accomplished so much for someone so young. You can't keep pushing it so far so fast. You have to wait for some things to happen. And I mean, he's so short with with uh, even Karaki Ice. I mean, it, he just simple little things really set him off um, a lot more. And it, it, it's nicer to see him in that situation because, you know, going into something like this, you would expect him to be the same cool-headed, um, you know, Reinhardt that we're used to from the previous, uh, you know, from the original OVA. But in here, it, it's it, it's it's nice that they took that care in this arc and throughout all the other arcs. And, he, and even in Gaiden 2, you still see it. I mean, he slowly developing into what we saw in, in the OVA and in, in the first movie. But, um, yeah. you know, it, it's nice about that. But excellent, so that, excellent way to begin the, uh, the OVA. Yeah, so that's the first arc, which was uh, called Valley of White Silver. The next one, uh, another four-episode arc that jumps a few years into the future where they've both gone up more in the ranks is called Morning's Dream, Night's Song, or as we like to call it, CSI Odin. <laughs> I was expecting one of them to have a beard like Grissom <laughs> Half, halfway through it. I was expecting the opening song to be The Who. <laughs> so uh, in this arc, um, Kierkegaard and Reinhard are between assignments, and um, they're visiting their old alma mater, the uh, military prep school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, their names are legendary amongst all of the, um, you know, the, uh, the underclassmen. Mm-hmm. because uh, they were just there a few years ago themselves. So everything seems okay until there's a murder afoot. <gasps> Who did it? The butler? Yes. The maid? <laughs> yes, both. 
the butler, the butler maid, the butler maid, the mutler, the mutler. So Reinhard and Kierkegaard, uh, they are asked by the principal to help with the investigation because um, some kid he uh, was found dead inside of um, a warehouse where there's a lot of uh, you know food and other materials that are stored. He got killed by flour. Yeah, he got killed by a giant sack of flour that <laughs> fell on. But things don't quite look like they seem. So throughout the investigation, uh, Kierkegaard and Reinhardt, you know, they're talking to other students. They're talking to people there. And what they uncover is um, a whole web of corruption where school officials were basically stealing supplies yeah. from the school, like food and whatnot, and uh, selling them off on the side. Black market trading. The black market. And uh, this kid just happened to be unlucky enough to stumble upon it, and um, he was killed, but then it was made to look like it was an accident of, you know, a giant sack of flour falling on him. Yeah. And they exposed that, uh, you know, the top level of the school's administration was involved in this um, black market trading as well as the cover-up of his death. So what did you think of this arc? Uh, it was good. I mean, it, once again, it, it, it's it's nice to see uh, these characters that we, you know, we, we had dealt with for so long in the original OVA in something we never saw them in before. And, you know, like you said, they, they, they begin this, they're taking it easy after the previous Ice Planet stuff, and they're, they're kind of like in between assignment and, you know, their exploits of getting um, that alliance officer captured um you know it's spread throughout and you know and and you know what a lot of people do they go back and visit their colleges and stuff and um you know it's it's it was just it was just very interesting because you're seeing them and you're seeing basically that these guys just aren't tactical and military geniuses you know these are just it's kind of showing another depth to them that they're able to use like reasoning and detective skills and all this other stuff to kind of figure out something and it, it, it also kind of reinforces the whole thing with reinhardt being you know how sometimes he would rail against the establishment for being so corrupt and you know sometimes you know you would think oh well he's sitting there saying he's going to be you know this pure this pure heart ruler well we see even in you know when he's really nothing still in the military that he's still got that kind of justice to him and that those kind of ethics and stuff, and um, yeah. which is interesting because uh, you know their assignment at this point uh, is like a paper pushing job uh, with yeah. the military police, and um, while they're researching stuff, yeah, it's in this arc. Um, Kierkegaard stumbles upon the story of an officer who has a similar sense of justice, and because of that has been uh, shipped off to the boonies, and that, of mm. course, is Kessler. Kessler, yeah. And Reinhard makes a note of that, like, hey, you know, uh, this guy sounds like a, like a good guy to have. Uh, keep, keep track of this guy. Yeah. And, of course, we'll see later in the guidance that, um, you know, Reinhard does meet Kessler in, in a rather unexpected way mm-hmm. and says, hey, I've been wanting to meet you, you know, but we'll get to that. So you already see also at this point that, um, you know, he's starting to look for talented individuals whose abilities are being neglected by, you know, the fat cat elites who don't have a mind for spotting and utilizing talented people. Yeah, it's basically showing how rotten the Empire is, is the fact that you have these guys of great morals and ethics and stuff like that, 
And because they have it and because they're not trying to line their pockets or trying to make a power grab that they're shipped off to some like useless asteroid or planet. And, you know, while, you know, these fat cats in the military and the aristocracy and, and all that are just like living off, you know, living off the corruption and, and, and living off, um, you know, the, the normal public of the empire. And um, but yeah, it, it it's you know it, if you didn't like Gaiden after the first arc, this is when you really started liking it. It was like wow, this is just really cool because you know I never thought I would see you know um, Reinhardt you know being a detective, you know being Gus Gr- or what is this? I forget. Is it Gus Grissom? No, it's not. Gus I don't. Grissom. I don't watch CSI. I, I'm I watched, more a Law and Order. I'm more of a Law and Order guy. I, I I only watched the Vegas one, but they never used his first name, so I can't. I, I, I can't remember. It doesn't know, matter. I know it's that and the redheaded MILF. So so tell me, when's the last time that you uh, went back to your former college and investigated a murder? <laughs> Actually, two years ago. <laughs> no. no. I You know, it, it, it's funny because it just shows how, you know, these guys, there is something special about them. And every time that they kind of, whatever situation it is, they, they see the corruption of the, of the society and um, either in even with asking or without asking or, you know, without provocation, they'll sit there and they stick their noses into something to see what the heck is really going on in it. And it really does build up more of uh, both, you know, Kierkegaard's and, and especially Reinhardt's kind of moral sense. And, um, you know, it, it, it does show it does kind of solidify in the end that he was. Yeah, he became absolute ruler at the end of. Um, at the end of the original OVA, and I hope we're not spoiling that, but we've already talked about it. And twenty-year-old um, spoilers. Oh my god, but, Lelouch uh, did it. Lelouch did it, and Reinhardt is the emperor. But it it, it does seem that you know he, you know, it, okay, he was an absolute ruler, but he really had the little people in mind. You know, he really had the public in mind because he was just tired of seeing all this stuff and. You know, of course, he was being selfish because he saw his, um, he felt his family and especially his sister was being, you know, taken advantage of that because of these people's stuff. But um, no, another great arc. And, yeah, and- it was it was nice to see them um, doing something outside of battle, whether it's on ground or in space, and uh, you know, kind of going over their old stomping grounds, which they're not that far removed from. They were like what two, three years out of out of yeah. They were like school. two, two years at most, maybe out of out of that school. So they're still young guys themselves, which allows them to identify with you know all of the um, students that are there who look up to them. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, like you made the point of you know Reinhardt, even at this young age, has a very strict sense of justice and an an extreme dislike for corruption whenever he finds it. Yeah. And, and, and he really sticks his nose in this stuff that really sometimes he doesn't need to and could be detrimental to him, you know, basically losing his life. <laughs> yeah, so. but his sense of fighting these injustices is that strong that, mm-hmm. you know, he stops to fight these things along the way if he can. Yeah, definitely. So the uh, third arc, which is the last of the uh, four episode arcs, is called Disgrace. So... um or you could call this uh, Kirkiais's big vacation adventure. <laughs> Blame it on Odin. <laughs> yep. So uh, in this arc, which is um, a little further along, they're 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 older. They're supposed to both that. They're both supposed to go on vacation, but um, Reinhardt got delayed for 
some such reason and uh, told Kirky Ice to just go ahead a few days in advance. Yeah. So Kirky Ice goes to this uh, space station, and um, just as he's checking into his hotel, he sees uh, some crazed drug addict try to attack some old man. So he saves the old man's life. And then he realizes that uh, the old man, who was his name, uh, Kesserling, mm-hmm. is uh, a retired admiral who was famous, or I should say infamous, for losing a battle in a spectacularly bad fashion a few years before. Yeah. Where um, it was something that they were like near an asteroid field, and uh, they had the element of surprise on the free planets, but then someone opened fire early and totally cost them their advantage, and then the battle turned around, and they lost miserably. And then this guy was cashiered out of the military in disgrace for his failure. So, uh, you know, they get to talking, and um, it turns out that uh, the man who attacked Kesserling was one of his soldiers, and because Kirkiais stepped in and stopped this, he's now sucked into all of these events, and the local sheriff, I guess, sort of recruits him to help investigate what's going on. And throughout the course of this arc, uh, with various attempts on Kirkiais's life, including a zero-g knife fight, which yes, is that was very John, James Bondish. <laughs> yes, it was. I'm talking earlier James Bond, not the ones with Daniel Craig. <laughs> yeah, we're talking like Moonraker, <laughs> 70s and 60s yeah. ones. <laughs> so um, what you find out is that um, Kesherling's fleet, there was a uh, black market drug ring that was being run. Number two officer who coincidentally is married to a woman that Kesherling has been in love with for many, many yeah. years, but never gave him the time of day. Always saw him as a so friend. You, yep. He was in the friend zone for oh, decades, but definitely. he just couldn't get it. Yeah. So it turned out that uh, all of this stuff that happened was because all of these dudes were all doped up with this drug ring that this guy was running, I forget his name, and um, Kesherling knew that, but he took the fall for this guy simply out of his love for the wife who he's in love with and has been in love with for many years. That and that and the fact that they were like they were friends uh, from like the academy and stuff. So and it, it's that whole thing of like they meet a girl and because Kesserling never could pull the trigger and ask her out. Well, this guy did one day and it's like, you know, and then he got married to her. So kind of interestingly, like in the main series with uh Yang and uh, Lap and Jessica. Yep. That's what I thought exact as soon as thing. I saw it. Yeah. I felt the, the same exact way. same thing that, uh, you know, the difference though was that Jessica wanted Yang mm-hmm. and basically went with Lap because Yang didn't do anything and never took that step. Whereas this woman never wanted anything to do with Kesserling and had no interest in him in that way. Yeah. But it is a similar situation, so I thought that was interesting. And, um, you know, Kirky Ice and Sheriff, they're both investigating and trying to uh, bring down this, um, this drug ring that this guy is still running. And, uh, unfortunately, it takes a little tragic turn at the end because um, the wife is trying to burn the evidence and, um, you know, is saying that, uh, you know, she'll do anything illegal to help her husband, no matter what he's done. And uh, as a result of a confrontation, she gets shot by the man who loved her. Didn't see that one coming. Did not. Did not expect him to kill her. But, uh, you know, I guess he'd had enough of it. (laughs) Well, it just showed how much of a scumbag that guy was. And Yeah, that guy was a real sleaze. And then once that's all wrapped up, 
uh, Reinhardt shows up and he's like, "Hey man, what you been up to?" Mm-hmm. And what was cool about this? What was cool about this episode? I'll just go into my thoughts on it. Is what was cool about this little arc here was this only this happened within like the span of like two or three days. It was. And unlike the other ones where they, you know, there was, seemed like there was a little bit more time elapsing before this. I think this was, bet- I think this was maybe two days and it was during that Yeah, it was a time. few days because it was during the time that uh, Kierkegaard was waiting for Reinhardt to catch up with him. And so it's a very short time span. And, and it's cool. And I like this episode a lot because this is when we really get to see Kierkegaard because unfortunately he's, he's stolen from, you know, he's stolen from us in the first season of um yeah. of the OVAs. I mean, you had four seasons, 110 episodes. This guy's dead by like what was it? Episode 26. 26. Yeah, 26. So it's like and you never really got to see it, it seemed just as we were starting to get to know him and stuff, he's taken away in the in the main OVA, but I like this one because we get to really see him. It's all about him and, you know, we see that we can see why him and um, Reinhardt are kindred spirits. You know, they have the same sense of justice and they have the, you know, and because really Kierkegaard had no reason to get involved with this guy. And once he got attacked and, and even, even Kesterling said the same thing is like, you know, just don't, you know, getting with me is just a bad thing because, you know, there's the stigma on me. And, and once again, it further goes into the whole sense of what we were talking about in the previous two arcs that, you know, the, Empires rot to the core with the people that are in charge and the people that are getting the accolades for things and stuff like that. And yeah. they do what they do to to make to you know to advance themselves to line their pockets, and they'll even sell out their friends and, like we saw in the end, sell out their own wife and and shoot her ass, um, you know, because that guy just got he got consistently crazier as this um, as this arc went on. Yeah, that but, uh, that guy just like was nuts oh. by the end. Yeah, and it was just like you know, you know, and 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 and, and you felt kind of bad for the woman because she really did, she really did love this guy, and she stood by perhaps him a bit too much, and stood by him as much as a scumbag as he was, and the fact that he didn't really give two craps when he shot her ass, yeah, it was just like damn, and poor Kesselling got the same rejection again as this woman's dying because. You know, usually in these situations, if it's anime or whatever, it's like, oh, you know, but I always loved you. And it was like, no, <laughs> like, no, I didn't. I didn't. Thank you for being with me. I still love this scumbag, even though he shot me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. For me, um, this arc and the in- the entire first Gaiden really um, is Kierkegaard's series, because like you said, you know, he's dead by the end of the first season. So here we get to really see him fleshed out. Yeah. And in this arc part in particular, because throughout the main series and even in these guidance, he's very happy to um, stand in Reinhardt's shadow yeah. and do what Reinhardt tells him, which leads some people to think in the military that, you know, he's just Reinhardt's um, lapdog lap and just does whatever Reinhardt says and can't do anything on his own. But uh, the thing is, even though Kierkegaard willingly makes himself subservient to Reinhardt, He's very smart and independent when he needs to be and can adapt to any situation. He's his, he's his own man, but he... He's his own man, but he just really enjoys serving Reinhard. And, and he understands, and it's weird because their whole relationship is he understands what his, what, um, you know, what his strengths are are not Reinhardt's strengths. And what Reinhardt's strengths are are not Kierkegaard's. Kierkegaard's is... He can get down and dirty. He's the physical guy. I mean, 
if Kirk, if if Reinhardt got stuck in the zero G thing with the knife fight, I mean, he would have been killed. But Reinhardt, his strength is motivating people, finding talent, doing what needs to be done. Really being being the white collar guy, where Kierkegaard is the blue collar guy, and yeah. and yeah, like you said, it it did it did uh, substantiate his own identity uh, within the whole show and and even within the story and it. It, it it is cool because, like you said, it is Kierkegaard's the series, and and it you always kind of wondered about this guy because even even in the um in in the original OVA they show part glimpses of it, but you still kind of think that he's just so subservient to um Reinhardt that he's just gonna be he's just gonna do his own thing. But you yeah, know, here we really see he's his own man. He chooses to be subservient to Reinhardt. And in the OAV, you know, even years after his death, they talk about what he could have been. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, it's uh, Hildy that makes the comment, like, if Kierkegaard had survived, you know, he would have been running the day-to-day business of the Empire and dealing with all these fires so that Reinhard could concentrate on, you know, the things that he wanted to do. Yeah. Or- and we see that, uh, you know, even years after his death, there's all of these soldiers who were extremely loyal to Kirkeis and still are, even after he's gone, yeah. and still hold him in very high regard because of his skill as uh, as a commander and uh, the way he cared for them, and, and and his willingness to stick his neck out, and, and yeah. like I said, he's a leader who work. leads from the front and not the back, yeah, we're, and that's what makes him stick out in this arc because he's completely on his own, yeah. And I thought that was good. I, I think that's what made this arc stand out within the all four arcs is the fact that this is you see you see Reinhardt a little bit in the first episode of the arc and in the last few minutes of the last episode of the arc. And yeah. other than that, it's just I think there might have been some inner like some very quick things like they might talk on video phone or whatever. Yeah, but he's barely there. It's he's just barely there. Yeah, it's just a cameo appearance mainly so that's the end of uh that arc which brings us to the halfway point of the series and to the arc that takes up the rest of the first guide in a hundred billion stars a hundred billion lights so this 12 episode arc um has a lot of components to it because um you've got battles that are going on in space you've got battles that are going on on the ground with tanks again you've got um you know, soldiers fighting in hand-to-hand combat. Panzer Grenadiers. Exactly. So in this arc, uh, we find Reinhard um, finally uh, is a ship commander, but he's got a really small, crappy fleet, which yeah, a th- is so a thousand s- ships. So so crappy, but in the Galactic yeah. Heroes universe, it's like nothing. <laughs> well, as he points out to I think Kirkyice in frustration, it's um, so small as to be ineffective and make him unable to do anything that matters. So he's in the uh, under the command of this uh, really, really, really old admiral named uh, Grimmelshauser, who um, this guy should have been off in the nursing home years ago. You know, he's he has a cane. Uh, he has a really twisted back that's hunched over. He falls he, asleep. <laughs> he falls asleep during uh, strategic planning sessions. And battle. <laughs> and battle. And he just has seems to have no idea of what's going on around him. So you think. <laughs> or so you think. Yep. Um, and his fleet is just... And then this is sort of uh, another example of, you know, the politics of war, where you have all of these commanders 
these high-ranking admirals in the Empire who are more concerned with um, rising in the ranks and protecting their positions than they are actually fighting their enemy and maybe winning the war. Yeah, this is where you really see how all these guys are more worried about what they're doing after the military instead of what they're doing during the military. And, you know, we, we see that with the whole thing. And Gremlin Hauser, we see that the only reason why this guy is even still in command is because he knows something or has some favor from the, em- the emperor. And that's that's the only reason why he's there. So yeah. So at the beginning of the arc, uh, his fleet is just sort of sent away to be like, uh, you know, just sort of sent off, you know, to kill time and and yeah. not get in the way of all of these other admirals. And uh, it ends up erupting into this battle on this um, tiny useless side planet that has a uh, free planet's base and it ends up ballooning into this all-out battle on the ground between tanks of both sides uh between soldiers on the ground and between ships fighting in space so what's interesting about this arc is uh the first three arcs exclusively were about um the Imperial side. Yeah. But here we start to see some focus on um, on the free planets. So we see, um, you know, at this useless base, the Rosenritters, and Shenkop is not the commander. Nope. The commander is actually some kind of incompetent guy. And the, um, the Rosenritters are held in pretty low regard because, as we know from the main series, they're made up of uh, expatriates and the children of expatriates from the Empire, but they have a crappy reputation because half of their commanders have defected back to the Empire, including uh, the previous commander, commander, a guy named Lunenberg, who is featured throughout this whole arc, and um, his paths cross with uh, Shenkop and are something that uh, becomes a rivalry between them that runs throughout the whole 12 episodes. So you've got Reinhardt and Kirkiais, they're trying to survive in this battle and do things that will allow them to earn some accolades because that's how you, you know, rise through the ranks. You know, what, what are your accomplishments on the battlefield? What have you done? And Reinhardt's always looking for that. You know, he's viewing battles through the lens of, you know, what could I accomplish that will get me noticed? Yep. Him and the other admirals, basically. Yeah. And unfortunately, because he's young, because uh, he has a reputation of, you know, being um, the the younger brother of the emperor's concubine, even when he puts forward good battle plans, they're ignored just because of who he is. Yeah. You know, at this point, you're starting to see a lot of the, um, you know, the people calling him dismissively, uh, oh, the uh, the golden haired brat. Yeah. You hear that that a lot. Always calling him the golden haired brat. So um, one of the things you see develop in this arc is uh, how it is that Shenkop became the commander of the Rosenritters and how he has this vendetta against Lunenberg and has to close that so that he can sort of really become the commander because Lunenberg's defection is a stain on their honor. Yep. And Lunenberg, uh, he's, 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 a, he's a real piece of work because he was you know, the commander of the Rosenritters, and then he defected back to the Empire, and he married into a wealthy, noble family, and um, is with a woman who really doesn't like him at all. Whose fiancé, the only reason why she's with him is because her fiancé got killed in battle. Yeah, which uh, kind of wasn't br- that manipulated so that this guy could get her? Basically. Yeah. Correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he doesn't care about her. He treats her like crap. 
he, he once again it shows how these guys are just trying to go up the ladder and trying to set themselves up after the military. Yeah, this guy he's he's just a social climber, but he just does it in a very naked fashion. He doesn't care. He ends up uh, in this one episode meeting with uh, who the hell was that giant monster of an admiral? Oh, the ogre dude. Yeah. Yeah. You know he's meeting with that guy and like uh, he's trying to like you know spread some gossip and you know try and do some politicking and and positioning and. Um, Oh, Lesser, that's the guy. Oh, Lesser's like, you know, what are you babbling to me about? I don't give a crap about this. Get the hell out of my house. Ugh, ugh. So, and then this guy's just looking for problems because, uh, you know, he hates Reinhard. And what's interesting is uh, he's sort of like the Reinhard of the ground because he's very well recognized as extremely skilled in ground battles. And, of course, he's trying to rise through the ranks. He sees that Reinhardt is trying to do the same. So, you know, on the Empire side, you've got this rivalry between the two of them. And, you know, they get into a fist fight at a party, which is where um, Reinhardt meets Kessler for the first time yep. and says to him, like, hey, uh, you know, if you, can, if you can bear, you know, uh, a boondocks assignment for a few years, I'll come and get you. And, um... You know, we see really what just a horrible guy this this uh, Lundberg is when um, you know Reinhard um, comes to visit and you know he talks to the wife momentarily just because she's crying and very innocently and this guy's like, "What are you doing with my woman? You know, you schemer, you scoundrel!" Ah, and he's making a big sink out of nothing. Yeah. So uh, in the end, we've got some more space battles and ground battles. We interestingly get to see a uh, anonymous, because they don't know who they're fighting, battle between um, Shenkop and Kirky Ice, which is interesting because it shows how skilled Kirky Ice is at combat that he can walk away with all limbs intact from a beast like Shenkop. The only time they've ever met. Yeah. And the only time anyone ever got away from Shenkop with you know, all appendages intact. Yeah, see Lewenberg. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, Reinhardt and Kirky Ice, they're kind of doing their own thing, and, um, you know, Lunenberg is fighting against the Rosenritters, and uh, Shenkop gets them and finally puts that issue to rest. And uh, once it's all said and done, at the end of the arc, um, this old man, Grimmelshauser, who kind of takes a liking to Reinhardt, gives him a little black book. And uh, this guy acknowledges that... Um, you know, he's not very smart, he's not very talented, but he knows it. He knows how to survive. He knows how to survive. So, one of the things he's done is, you know, over the last, like, four or five or six decades, he's recorded every single dirty secret that anyone of importance has told him. And he offers it to Reinhard to say, here, you know, use this to help you. It's like the Book of Secrets from National Treasure. Pretty much. I mean, it's Pretty like, much. I mean, that's basically what it was. It's every dirty secret on everyone that you can use to blackmail God knows how many people and rise through the ranks. So potentially this is something that could, you know, shave a lot of time off of Reinhardt's quest to rise to the top. But, you know, because he detests, you know, the Empire and the nobility and all of the dirty things they do, he decides that he doesn't want to do that because it would make him like them. Yeah. So he doesn't take the book. And um, 
I believe by the end of that arc, he got some more promotions, and so did Kirky Ice, and they ended up moving up in the ranks because of the battles that they fought. Yeah, so, but remember, there was a weird thing about the promotions with Kirky Ice, because if he w- he was at a point, if he got promoted like one more time, he would not be with Reinhardt, and they did some yeah. kind of finagling where, even though he was, I think he was promoted to commander... Um, and there was something going on where he ended up being with Reinhardt, but if they normally that wouldn't have happened, they would have been broken up. So yeah, you actually see uh, something relating to that in um, Gaiden Two of the arc that chronologically mm-hmm. takes place right after this one. Yeah, uh, you see what happens there. So with that arc being um, summarized, what did you think of it? This is. The, this was Galactic Heroes, and this yeah. is when it went to Galactic Heroes because you had about four or five storylines going on. You have all the political and you know social posturing that we're seeing. We're introduced to the um, Rosenritters, you know, as veterans of uh, the OVAs prior. We know Shenkop and stuff, but we see at really this point where it, it's a little bit different. Is they're feared in the in the in the original OVA, but there's some respect to them. But in this one, we see that they're really at their lowest point because, like you stated, most of their commanders had, um, you know, they had defected back to the Empire. And, so and the like, current one they had was pretty incompetent. Yeah, he was horrible. I mean, even his own men didn't like him. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, and we see that Shenkop is just, it's it's the same old Shenkop. I mean, it was just like getting into, like, episode 50 of, of the original OVA. It's like, it's the same Shenkop here. It's the same one. We do see, though, Shinkop's got a little of the jungle fever, though, because of the, the young lady oh, yeah. he, he keeps with. Um, and we, we see a softer side of Shinkop, and, you know, and it, and it, and it does kind of make sense because a lot, of the, a lot of the things he used to say about himself when it came to women and stuff, especially when he um, gets uh, reintroduced to his daughter in the original OVA, we see why he is kind of the way he is. And, um, you know, like you said, too, this is this was the, you know, throughout all of this original guide in, we see cameos of characters that we've seen in the OVA. Well, this one especially. And yeah, I mean, uh, you got Yang running around. He's involved, too, but not too much from what I recall. But no, he's still you know, you he's still a, an Arnoling. Yeah. You, you see a lot of people that um, is this the one where we see is, is this the one that we see that one um, that one chick? Uh, that real free spirit aristocrat. You know who I'm talking. You remember who I'm talking about? The girl that oh, gave yeah. Leo ride. Yes, yes, you do. Yeah, and yeah. We, the we, uh, the we one see... who's um, Anna Rose's only friend in the court. And we see Hildy in this, and it's funny because her and Reinhardt are walking on the same street, but like on opposite ends. And, yeah, uh, it's and they're really... talking about you know um, uh, Hildy and uh, this uh, this aristocrat. They're talking about like you know romance and stuff, and like, you know like like uh, I think she says like oh I got a guy that you should meet. Yeah, she's talking about Reinhard, but uh, obviously they don't end up meeting until halfway through season one of the show. Stop spoiling for me. Hey, Lelouch did it. <laughs> oh jeez. But it it was a cool. This was a really good arc, and you know it's got the twelve episodes to really develop. I, what I thought was really one of the most standout things about it is the fact that Reinhardt can't stand Grimmenheiser at the beginning. Yeah. But at the end, he's sad because the old man ends up dying and it bothers him because he really started liking this old man and he understood what the old, what he was all about because the old man told him, he's like, look, I'm not like you. I don't have all this talent. I did what I needed to do. 
and you know I'm not proud of it, but that's what I did. And I, I think in the end, Reinhard respected that because he's like, look, you know, this guy, he knew what he was. He wasn't one of these these fake ass uh, military guys and these aristocrats that think there's something and knowing that they're scumbags, but not admitting that they're scumbags. And I think that's what really kind of endeared Reinhardt to him. And, yeah. And um, the whole thing with Lewenberg, that was just, you know, we get back to the old uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes violence with, um, you know, arm getting chopped off and zoom in on the dripping bone laden, uh, you know, what's left of his arm. And, um, you know, but you don't feel sorry for him because he's no, such he a, he's such a sleaze that he gets what he deserves. Actually, you really, I mean, you you don't feel for the guy at all. But once that whole situation goes down, where um, his wife is crying and Reinhardt, they're at this party, and Reinhardt just is like walks into this room just to get some air, and he sees this woman just like crying on the couch, and he's just like, you know, it's okay, it's okay, and then. Um, you know, they go in there and, and, and they see each other. And, you know, Lewenberg's trying to challenge him in, in the, um, you know, I challenge you to go out tie the flagpole and we're going to fight. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's just, you know, it, it, it just shows everything, everything that was what was great about the original OVA was kind of encompassed in this, this arc right here. And, it, you know, it, it was just, it, it's very enjoyable because it shows that transition of like, you know, we, we stated the first three arcs, these guys are noobs. They're getting their feet wet. They're kind of doing some things, getting accolades and stuff. And now we see them kind of really just thrust into the, you know, the, the, the thing of, um, you know, the, the whole drama of Galactic Heroes. So, mm-hmm. so to uh, wrap things up, any thoughts on the entire first Guidance series overall? Um, I think it's great. I think it's, um, you know, you, you sometimes have to get, I'm sometimes apprehensive when you go back to something, when you have a good series and then it's like a few years later, they go back and they're trying to do prequel stories or whatever. Unlike the George Lucas prequels, these actually work. Um, You know, they make sense. They're not, they don't take anything from the original story. Uh, They actually, you know, they, they actually add your love to the original story when you watch them. Um, and unlike a lot of other prequels, everything fits. Everything. There's fits. no retcons. There's no like changes of things that don't work. Yeah. You know, throughout the Gaiden, you know, you see events happen that are later referenced in the main series. And and the other thing I got to say about these is I think even if you didn't see the original OVA, you could watch these as standalones and still be entertained. It's not one of these things where you know the the storytelling of Galactic Heroes is is just is so good that sometimes you don't have to really know what's going on. You can just get into it and, you know, they fill you in and, you know, it's just, you know, it's just one of those, there's stories that we've seen before, just these are different characters. And, um, you know, I I think, you know, I I think if you haven't seen the original show, you wouldn't be lost watching The Guide Ends. I mean, you'd just be like, wow, these are just four different stories about these two guys and, you know, it's pretty pretty cool. I mean, it could. definitely does work on its own. And uh, another thing about uh, the series overall is that um, when you have prequels for you know action based shows, yeah, one problem that you always run into, you know, if they feature the characters who are part of you know the the main series, is that um, 
you don't have the same sense of danger because you know that these characters have to survive to make it to the main series. Yeah. But even in the face of that, um, you know, all these characters like Reinhardt and Kierkegaard are put in situations that even though you know that they're obviously going to live, it's still thrilling to see how it is that they get out of the situation that they're stuck in. Yeah, the, the example of that is the Zero-G knife fight with Kierkegaard. It's like, that was a very intense fight. We knew that he was going to survive because we know that he has to show up in the, in the, OB, in yeah. the original OVA. But you but, didn't know if he was going to get injured. He could have been stabbed yeah. somewhere and been... He could have been stabbed in the arm or in the gut or something and, you know, been out of the action, been out of action for a while. But um, they did manage to make it thrilling despite there being um, no sense of mortality there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was there was intensity to that scene. It's like, man, is he going to is he going to get out of this without getting, you know, cut up or something like that? And yeah. Or in the, um, you know, the, the first arc where uh, the two of them are, you know, facing off against their commander mm-hmm. you know and, and it's like how they get out of the situation you know they are but you really do want to see how it is they're gonna get out of that situation yeah but i mean in terms of you know watching this as, as a standalone show i think it works well but if you've seen the original galactic heroes which we have a lot of listeners that have and have since watched it when we talked about the original show um you know this is just it's it's you know i hate to say the love letter thing but it's it's just it kind of is but it does not disappoint i think these episodes are as solid as anything in the original ova oh yeah it's easily it's it doesn't have that diminished quality that sometimes prequels do especially when it's prequels that are made years later Mm -hmm. as uh, these prequels were made right after season four ended yeah. So it's sort of like they didn't stop. Yeah. So it's all, you know, on the level of the main show. If you love the main show, you'll like this. It's got all the elements that you like, as well as some fresh elements that you haven't seen before. So yeah. I would highly recommend it to anyone who has any interest in Galactic Heroes, whether they've seen the series or whether they've just heard about it. Or just seen parts of the original series. I mean, I, I think you could, even if you're like one of these people, you're maybe halfway through season one or something like that, you could sit down and watch these and it's not going to really... Um, affect anything. It's just, you know, additional stuff. I think that'll uh, put an end to this anime spotlight. So, in a future segment, we'll be coming back to, you know, discuss the second Gaiden series as well as um, the second movie and the Golden Wings OAV to finish up our work on Galactic Heroes. So, watch for that in the future. For now, we're just going to take a quick break. You've been listening to Gundam at MHQ. We have a problem. We need to set up a perimeter. Who is this? Isn't this the coach of the baseball team? No, you have the wrong number. This is Shirley Douglas's residence. Really? Yes, I should know. She's my mother. Your mother? You still live with your mother? How old are you? I'm hanging up now. Kiefer, who was that? Gun- Damn it, Mom! I told you to knock before you come in! Need a cake, but you don't want something boring from the local supermarket or a bakery? In the South Florida area, try EpicSugarWorks.com. This bakery specializes in creating cakes based off of your favorite anime series, video game character, or whatever custom design you're looking for. Their online store also features anime and video game themed chocolate lollipops, as well as gift certificates if you want to give something to somebody. 
So if you're looking for a cake that's above the norm, go to EpicSugarWorks.com. It's epically delicious. I'm tired of other anime podcasts being such a starfest. My plan was perfect, but there was one thing I overlooked. One factor I failed to calculate. He's a dumbass. I hate Narutards. Oh my god, he's wet. And I'm sick of the giant Moe monster wreaking havoc in my anime city. So what's my solution? Make a better podcast than everyone else. Well, at least I try anyway. Join me, Josh Dunham, as I talk about my ideas and opinions about current Japanese music, games, and anime. You can find my weekly podcast at www.animation.blogspot.com. That's A-N-I-M-E-S-H-O-N. I review the new shows and manga coming out of Japan, as well as ye old goodies. So check me out. I'm only a Google search away at Animation. A-N-I-M-E-S-H-O-N. Happy birthday. How to say. Well, you could say thank you. Thank you. Gun damn it, Jim. What the hell's the matter with you? Other people have birthdays. Why are we treating yours like a funeral? Bones, I don't want to be lectured. Insight, foresight, more sight. The clock on the wall reads a quarter past midnight. All right, everybody. So concludes episode 57, the Solbo Free episode. We know you guys wanted it. We gave it to you because, damn it, you deserved it. You have to deal with this stuff all the time. But, no, in all fairness, we, you know, uh, the show goes on, and we'd like to congratulate Solbro on his pending nuptials. And um, in this episode, it was just a one-segment uh, episode, and that was on the first um, Legend of the Galactic Heroes Guide in the first 24 episodes and it was um, myself and Chris's um, thoughts on that um, Chris any MHQ things or you know just things in general that you need to uh, air out before we end this episode I have the feeling I'm forgetting something but um, really I will say this uh, watch the Gundam blog in um, well probably by the time this episode is already out watch the Gundam blog for uh an interesting review that'll be coming up. That's all I'll say. Ooh, okay. All right. Soul Bro, anything? Okay. And we do know in two years, Soul Bro will call, uh, he'll call Gaiden the greatest show he's ever seen. So that's all within his uh, his whole his whole demeanor there. But um, unfortunately, I don't have the list of stuff that he rattles off. I know that if you want to go anywhere, the first place you want to go to is mhq.net the home of everything Mecca, and um, of course our boards at mechatalk.net, which are the official boards of uh, MHQ. I know that uh, Gundam and... Is is MHQ uh, MySpace or um, uh, Facebook or anything like that, or is it just the Twitter? Uh, there is a there is a uh, Facebook, but it's not anything that I run, so I don't oh, even know okay. if it's still there. But uh, if you want the Twitter, just go to... Twitter.com slash M-A-H-Q-D-O-T-N-E-T. And, of course, if you're on the main site, uh, the redesigned site, there's a Twitter widget that you know has the same updates anyway. I've seen that. And, uh, of course, if you have any complaints or issues or anything, the very first place you want to go to is uh, an email to sbrmahq at gmail.com. Oh, and, of course, if there's anything that you're very passionate about that you want to petition or anything like that, like... 
please make the Evangelion live action movie or um, you know yes Ben Affleck needs to be the, in the next Daredevil movie always go to sbrmhu at gmail.com because he, he loves he loves the online petition he'll 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 fight that losing fight <laughs> and uh, I, I but in all seriousness if you have any questions or anything you can reach myself Chris or Solbro at our respective gmail accounts and there's also a main uh, Gundam MHQ at gmail.com site or email that you can uh, do, you know, comments, questions, whatever it might be. And of course, always visit Mecha Talk. And uh, we were on Facebook, uh, MySpace, and, you know, just listen to previous episodes. Solbro rattles this stuff off. And, you know, usually me and Chris are usually asleep by this time. But, um, oh, uh, one other thing. Um, I was a guest, I was the last guest on the solar ray radio wave podcast with dolo and because i know he had asked chris and he had asked solbro prior and of course he saved the best for last and uh whatever i'm on his newest episode so definitely visit mr dolo and um if you like his podcast let him know because uh, um you know he would definitely love that feedback but um Obviously, the best one was the episode that I was in. <laughs> what the hell did you guys talk about? I talked about Troll 7. Oh, really? Trolls. Trolls. This was just troll-free. He didn't show up in this one, did he? I think so. <gasps> How are you doing, Troll? I haven't really heard from you in a while. When Chris went on vacation to Europe, you just kind of dropped off the map. I mean, and you showed up last episode with the unification of the pedo bears, but that was just a weird episode. I got stuck inside the housing for the landing gear in the airplane in Germany. What, what are you hating right now? Just really quick before, you know, we, we don't need this all day. I don't need one of those four-page soliloquies that you do on 4chan. I hate, I hate anything that people like, like freaking soccer, the sport. If, if, if the rest of the world likes it, then I should hate it because if people like it, I hate it. So it's stupid and it sucks. Have you ever met the general? Do you hate him? I hate, every, hate? I hate everyone. Oh, man. Losers. But, but you're unlike the general, though, you hate without really having any basis of information or knowing anything. The uh, the general actually will suffer through a crappy show and, and hate on it. You, Why you do just... I bother to need to have information to hate something? <laughs> What's the point of having that? I don't waste my time. And your opinion is the most important of all, isn't it? I just spend more time hating stuff. <laughs> well, what do you think about Chris? I know you live underneath his house, but... You must kind of like this guy because when you know, whenever they drop like a, a loaf of bread out the window or something like that, you probably get some food. But you know, guys, douchebag with delusions of grandeur who thinks he's so special because he has a website and everyone's always worshiping him and he thinks he's the best thing ever. That guy's such a loser. Do you, do you agree with some people that he just kind of Shanghai Gundam and just made it into his own his own image and just kind of pushed myself and Solbro off to the side just to you know allure to his delusions of grandeur? He's, he's so self-absorbed. He just loves the sound of his own voice. Let me ask you this, Mr. Troll, before we go. Who is your favorite host on Gundam? Is it Solbro? Is it myself? Or is, well, you hate Chris, so it's not good. Wait, what do you, is, is it me or Solbro? Do you actually like either one of us? Or My favorite host on Gundam is Peter. <laughs> me and Pedal Bear North. Oh, really? Why is that? Because he's easy to hate. <laughs> That and the fact that he likes the uh, Prince of Darkness movie from the Desco. <laughs> Damn Troy, it's it's just amazing. He always steals oh, my microphone. Jesus, but 
Well, Mr. Troll, Mr. Chris, we're on our way, and uh, we will be back in a few weeks with episode 58. We just want to thank everybody for listening, and also always go to our sponsors, GoDaddy and Petco. We know a lot of you people out there have pets, so buy your stuff from them. Buy, buy, buy. Because, because um, you know, that comes spend, back to spend, us. Spend, spend, Because you do want the you do want the Gundam World Tour. I mean, if, if we can enough of you guys buying uh, dog food and, and treats and stuff, we might have the Gundam World Tour. We come to a city to you. I mean, the first place I'd like to go to is probably London and and, and chill with our London friends. And as long as they provide us free beer. So, um, but Chris, any last words or Mr. Troll or anything? Uh, no, that's All right. it. All right. Well, we'll be back in a few weeks with episode 58. You're listening to Gundam and MHQ. We'll see you guys later. Bye. This fighter's a real beauty, all right. It looks great, but how does it handle? Hmm? Well, why don't you just climb aboard and see for yourself? You mean that? Sure. I'll go along and ride piggyback behind you. The controls may look pretty complicated, but I'll check you out on them. I'm not worried. If you can learn to fly one of these things, I can. Don't be so modest. Gundam at MHQ is a Shinjuku station in the MHQ production. You're just the afterbirth, Eli. No. Slithered out on your mother's filth. No. They should have put you in a glass jar on the mantelpiece.